With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We are back from the Rising Stars competition. Also, there was an all-star game this weekend. I'm Jonathan Fagan, and with me this week, making his triumphant return, is Greg Rogen. Greg, thank you for stepping in as Danielle Lerner is on assignment. We are going to discuss All-Star, Rockets, the 24-game sprint to the end of the season. But for now, thank you, Greg, for being here. What, what do you think? What's on your mind first? I've got a lot of things on my mind, Jonathan. I kind of enjoyed uh, the All-Star Weekend a little bit. Um, it's not quite the All-Star Weekend when I grew up as a kid when you'd watch, like, you actually see big names in the dunk contest, you know, and, you know, you, Dr. J or Michael Jordan versus Dominique Wilkins. I'm dating myself here, but. So it looked like a lot of fun, the game on Sunday night, just watching on TV. What was it like in the arena to see a uh, Stephen Curry shooting display like that? Did he validate his status as the greatest shooter in NBA history with that performance? I don't know. It's so established now. It's almost cliche to say, although Reggie Miller seems to feel like he needs to make that point with every three. Um, it was spectacular to watch, though. And, you know, even to backtrack a little bit before he went off in the third quarter, people complain, and to a degree, maybe I'm one of them, that the All-Star game for three quarters is no defense. It's just three-point shooting and dunks. But and maybe that's the difference. When you're in the arena, the skill level that those guys display is so incredible. Yeah, nobody's trying to stop them. But it's just amazing to where even they seem to want to see the other be incredibly skilled. They are in, rem, in, tremendous. The all-stars, the skill level, and here we go. I'm going to be the anti-old man here, you know, where I'm supposed to, at my age, say, back in my day. No, these guys are way better than back in my day. What they can do is absolutely incredible. And so they display that. And then when Steph Curry displayed what he can do, which is on another level still, uh, yeah, I thought it, I thought it was thrilling. And even before that, and I will share this. So I, I'm now down in the workroom at one point, and I decide, nah, I want to be on the floor for the 75th anniversary team and for Earth, Wind, and Fire. So I was able to successfully sneak. I shouldn't admit this, but I can't help it. On the podcast, there, there is a rule. You can't keep a secret. I snuck out on the floor. <laughs> so I was out there like I was the 77th man, which, of course, no one would have believed. But uh, I did sneak out on the floor so I could really get a good feel compared to the media seating, which, you know, was like coming, looking down from another planet. Uh so I could really be on the floor. And that was another thing that I did want to talk about. And you reminded me of it. That was great. That 75th anniversary halftime ce ceremony, because the players 
they were so thrilled to be in that club. The, the current players had tremendous appreciation for the people who paved the way from, for them, the legends to be with those guys, to look around and see, yeah, I'm here. I'm with Dr. J and I'm with Michael Jordan and, and go on and on and on. It, it, it was a shame. There were some who couldn't be there, uh, some who maybe are a little older to where they couldn't travel safely. But it was great. And I do think some of what happened later was because of the way everyone was uplifted by watching that halftime. Plus, Earth, Wind & Fire was pretty good. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I, You know, watching the NBA 75 was really cool. It was a little bittersweet when you think of, like, some of the legends who had passed on in recent years. But And then you saw there was an interview with Charles Barkley, and he got pretty emotional talking about, you know, being surrounded by these guys and what it was like out there. And he was mentioning talking to George Mike and son, you know, backstage. And, and you just see like, just to see that history on display with all these guys, you know, come, that have gone, come up through the years. And, you know, the NBA had its 50th anniversary team, you know, at the all-star game 25 years ago in Cleveland. And to see this, uh, this 75th anniversary celebration for me, kind of like who's a, a basketball history junkie. That I thought that was really the coolest part of All-Star Weekend. Yeah, it was great. And it's one of the things basketball still has. Adam Silver, when he wasn't busy putting his foot in his mouth on Saturday, did make a very good point that it's still a relatively young league and a relatively long, young sport. He can call, now the rest of us probably can't, but he can pick up the phone and call the Babe Ruth of the NBA, Bill Russell. Uh, you know, you can't do that in baseball. You can't, you know, for one thing, Babe Ruth probably, you know, he certainly wouldn't have a cell phone and never did. But, you know, he, so basketball still has the ties to the people who made this league. Now, Bill Russell couldn't make the trip and, and we don't have Maravich and Havlicek and Baylor, Busher. You know, there's a lot, there's Sam Jones there, there are some of the great ties to the other eras that aren't with us now. And by the time, sadly, we get to the 100th anniversary and I'm, you know, an old guy trying to sneak onto the floor, we'll have more who won't be there. But for now, I think that's part of it is, yeah, this is a guy who made me love basketball. Whoever you were on that stage, if you're Steph Curry or, you know, whoever you are up there, I, I love, I can't believe I'm in a club with so-and-so because they're still there. And it was thrilling. It, it was well done and the league did a great job with it. And uh, yeah, I, I think it, what was really good was the thing the league couldn't co control or coordinate. And it was the feelings of somebody like Shaq or Charles Barkley, how it made them feel. And then they did a very good job of expressing. Yeah. You spoke about Adam Silver putting his foot I in his mouth. I knew you were going to go there. I knew it. As soon as I said it, you were going <laughs> to seize on that. I couldn't come up with a way to express how much it meant to them to be around the players without you getting right back to them. Well, it was already on my list of notes. Uh, so, ooh, uh, notes? Is that how we're supposed to do this? I try to come prepared, you know. I, I, I look at it as homework doing a podcast with you. Um, so on Saturday, Adam Silver 
made some remarks about locker room access to media. We are going on two straight seasons without locker room access in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. And he, he was discussing locker room access and concerns about it in terms of privacy, which got some immediate pushback from basketball writers that I noticed on Twitter. What was your takeaway from what he said? Okay. Well, first of all, you, you saw relatively little pushback because as a basketball writers association, we chose not to. So there were some who weren't part of that, who didn't get that message, but this isn't something to litigate publicly. Um, what he said was foolish. Nobody's in there for any reason other than to do our jobs. We are there to, to be the most fair and accurate journalists we are capable of being. That's why we're there. And it's offensive and insulting to suggest anything otherwise. And I don't think he meant it. I think, it, I don't think he understood as he said it. And he and I have communicated to where I'm convinced he did not intentionally mean to be insulting. It's also horribly out of date. The locker room, it's not our high school locker room. They're not in there changing. The timing of the access to the locker room doesn't even coincide with when they change. You know, nobody's, that just doesn't happen. You know, if, if a guy is changing pregame during the access time, he showed up for work an hour and a half late. And so it's just ridiculous. On top of that, the modern locker rooms, they, they have lounges and training areas and sports bars practically in the back. They're not hanging out in the locker room. So that's ridiculous. But the, the last point that I will make, and it's the one I feel most strongly about, or maybe not most strongly, but most strongly as we go forward, because he will understand, oops, you know, he was repeating a talking point from someone else who has never been in a locker room. And okay, you probably shouldn't have adopted that talking point because it's inaccurate and offensive and insulting. But going forward, what the league and its players need to understand, and many do understand, access to players is the best thing, not just for us, but for players and therefore also for the NBA. Our understanding of, of them as people keeps, you see media that has no access and no interest in access dehumanize them. Well, that's not good for anybody. That, that's not right. That's not good. They're not trading cards. They are people with, with the same issues we all have. The more walls you put up, the more difficult it is to see through them and see that. Then there's the daily do your job point. You know, I didn't know what you meant by this. Did you mean this or that? Well, you can't do that at a Zoom press conference. You, you can't turn off the recorder and say, you know, how did you feel about this? I, I wasn't clear. Or, you know, would you like to just talk to me? I can't tell you over the years how many, how much greater understanding I've had because I've been able to have conversations, which in the COVID era are not regularly possible. As an aside, I will add the Rockets are very good about trying to facilitate that if you ask, as is policy around the league. Most teams are not so good at facilitating that. But if you build walls, people don't, people dealing with people, that's a good thing. That's good for the league. That's good for the league's players. And obviously that helps journalists do their job better. 
which is what our goal was, going back to why we're in locker rooms in the first place. You know, while I was doing my homework for this podcast, I did see a piece about Adam Silver and David Stern and media access. And it mentioned an anecdote from, I guess, whenever the NBA signed its last big TV deal under Stern, he told coaches that there would be locker room access for TV partners or there would be cameras in the locker room. And Scott Skiles, who was a coach of the Bulls, raised a stink about it. And David Stern, in no... um in no uncertain way, put his foot down and said, this is going to happen. Does Adam Silver not get it like David Stern did, like in building the NBA to where, to where it got to from like the early eighties at how important the media was in that, in growing the league? I don't no, I don't think he gets it to David's level. Um, you know, and I, I pointed out to Adam that there was a time, for those of us who go back to the 80s and 90s, in my case, more than 90s, and I did have a taste of it in the 80s, the NBA was the league to cover. Man, they were the best. And that was because David Stern insisted on that. And I did point out there was a time. I didn't get into that specific. Um, but And I don't know. I think that's an anachronism, too. Uh, but that's something that worth aspiring toward. And uh, he didn't argue. And so... Um, that so whether he now Stern ruled the league while Adam is a consensus builder with, with the players and so on, and so he's he's never never going to have the David way of ordering what he wants. That's and probably that's out of date too. Um, I think. We're, we are going to endeavor to make him understand, make players understand and therefore have him understand that we do, great relationships are useful and valuable for everyone. And that seems self-evident. Um, I, I, and I'm hopeful. I'm more hopeful today than I was when he, I don't think he meant to dump all over his own state of the league press conference with the people in the room. It wasn't like he was in a board meeting and it came out. He, he was saying this to the journalists who were there, which is the other part. These, This is the media whose organizations, including ours, the Houston Chronicle spent the money to send me there. They, they spent the money to send me to Salt Lake City and the Phoenix. And I would have, I was going to go to Los Angeles and then on to Cleveland. I was on the road for nine days we spent the money there, and that's who he dumped on, the people who actually went to cover the league, to treat their big showcase event as important. I do not believe he meant to do that. I, I think he he was regurgitating a talking point that was made to have a pretty good idea by whom. Um, and he, he was repeating it as something to consider without realizing the premise was insulting and inaccurate. Very well. Let's move on to the Rockets. Um, obviously, they had a couple interesting games last week, played the Suns down to the wire, lost, got blown out by the Clippers. I was on a TNT conference call last week before leading up to the All-Star game with Charles Barkley and Kenny Smith. Obviously, they don't. I'm not sure how much these guys watch the Rockets because I had a couple questions. Yeah, I had a couple questions in there about the Rockets. They and Charles just up said, more, Charles said. Yeah, <laughs> Charles just said it's going to be a long. 
Yeah, the Rockets Rock got a long, long way to go. Charles didn't you know, say anything earth-shattering there. Kenny Smith made an interesting point, I thought. He said he understood the losses are going to pile up, but it was important for them to develop good habits while losing. Like he, and he made the comparison to Memphis during its rise to where the, where the Grizzlies are now, that yes, they were losing games, but they were building good habits. Do you see any of that happening with the Rockets so far during this rebuild? I mean, first of all, I, I don't really know what he's talking about. Showing up to practice on time, practicing hard, lifting weights seriously rather than hanging out. Does he have any clue whether, you know, the Grizzlies were showing up on time to the weight room or to the flight or whether he ever did? Uh, so I, I, I don't know what he meant by that exactly. Um, those are the habits, though. You know, work hard. Show up. Don't just live the life and make the money. Um, come in like a professional and, and work to improve. And yeah, I mean, we do see signs of that. We are seeing that in the individual improvement that is absolutely happening. It's not translating to team improvement yet. That is a harder thing. That is tough. Um, it's an unforgiving league. But, you know, I can point to so many guys individually who are better in some ways, but they're every, the improvement is always step-by-step. Step. It, it's difficult. But, you know, Kevin Porter Jr. is a more reliable, steady hand running the offense. There's no question he's become that. Jalen Green, you look at his shooting in February, and he's a different guy. And defensively, he, which he has a long way to go, but he's come a long way. And I can go down the list. Jay Sean Tate is on this tremendous role finishing. Uh, K.J. Martin, despite the block shots, was a horrible defensive player last year. He, he's certainly better. I guess that means they're developing good habits to work hard. You don't just improve by, you know, aging. At least I haven't. And so I, I, I think we are seeing if they can improve individually, yeah, there's a chance that they will improve as a team. Yeah, and I think what he he meant to say, what he said, a citing example was, well, that guy's in the right position on defense. Somebody just made a better play to score over him. So he, like the guy was doing the right thing. He just he got beat by a better opponent. I'm, I guess that's what he was saying. But I think a lot of it is they are now much more often in the right position, and and sort of the low man doing his responsibilities was just atrocious for a long time. And if he doesn't do that, you're giving up a dunk. So, you know, if you're giving up, if you make a mistake on the perimeter and you don't rotate properly, well, the guy can still miss. If you don't rotate with the low man, you're giving up a dunk and NBA players rarely miss dunks. So they are better at that. What they still lack is recognition. So they often see what the other team is doing and then try to get there. So it's sort of like starting a, a, a hundred meter real sprint, but you don't take off at the gun. You take off when you see everybody else take off. And, and that's their defense many nights now. You know, there's a reason it was better in some games. It's when they, rec like, they went from Salt Lake City to Phoenix. Well, the Jazz, they have a roll man on pick and roll, just rolling hard, play after play after play. The Rockets were pretty bad dealing with it. Well, the very next night, they play the team that has a roll man rolling to the basket. DeAndre Ayton never picks and pops. They roll and pick and roll more than any team in the league. 
Well, the Rockets defended it better because it was the second night in a row doing that. Well, that's one of the reasons. They defended it better. Recognition only comes with time. But in this league, if you don't have it, you don't have a chance. And that's what we see from the Rockets. And that's why young teams lose. And the Rockets are a young team. And boy, do they lose. Very true. You know, barring something miraculous happening down the stretch, the Rockets won't be in the playoffs. But something that happened in a Rockets game last week might have a very big impact on the playoffs with Chris Paul getting hurt, supposed to miss, what, six to eight weeks. How do you think that injury impacts the Western Conference race the rest of the way? And I don't mean that as a knock on CP3 at all, but that's a big cushion. You know, six games in the loss column is a pretty good cushion. And the difference between one being one and two, if somehow the Warriors catch them, which they could, uh, you know, I don't know that it's that great a difference. The bigger question is, what will Chris be after being off all this time? Uh, now, so much of what he does is just his under talk about recognition. There's nothing he doesn't recognize at this point. What he will be when he comes back. Now, that's crucial. Uh, but they did win two of the playoff games without him last year. Uh, a lot depends on how campaign is when he comes back. He's been out for a month with his wrist injury. I, I think they're going to be just fine. I think they're the team to beat. You know, while we're discussing former Rockets guards, um, what are your expectations for James Harden? In Philadelphia. That'll be a much-watched storyline the rest you know, of the You know, he did play for the Rockets, didn't he? God, you know. That, I mean, that, that, he didn't scrub that from his history last week, <laughs> along with uh, how he left town? He apparently scrubbed a few things from his memory when he said last week that it was mutual. When I, when I left, it was mutual. Uh, the line I tried in the podcast last week was, yeah, it was mutual. As soon as you burned the house down, nobody wants to live there anymore. How will that be? You know, it's Iffy. I think he's a great player, and, and I think at this stage of his career, he's very willing to be a great playmaker, which that team could use. And they have some weapons, but they are not overloaded with catch-and-shoot guys. And Joel Embiid doesn't need a great playmaker. Now, he can run some pick-and-roll, which makes it even easier for him to get the you-can't-possibly-stop-me position. You run it with James. It's a pretty incredible combination. But, you know, I'm not sure they're the team to beat right now in the Eastern Conference. And plus, James, everybody reacted as if the hamstring was just James forcing his way out. And they reacted that way because it was. But he has had off and on hamstring issues. You know, how will he be? for the next stage of his career. And I've put it this way quite a few times, but I still like it. Is he going to be the Rockets version of Charles Barkley or the post-Rockets Chris Paul? Chris Paul changed his workouts, dramatically changed his diet, which wasn't bad to begin with, but he's gone vegan and he tried to get me to like one of those stupid burgers. And uh, it's changed things for him. Uh, Is James going to make that kind of commitment or will he age more rapidly? As you know, people forget when Charles got to the Rockets, he was pretty darn good still. There was still a whole lot of Charles, but he aged rapidly. Is that what's going to happen with James? That's a good question. All right. Rockets have what, 24 games left. What do we have to look forward to the rest of the way other than ping pong oh. balls in Sakaka? Sica- in Sakaka. Lottery, baby. Woohoo! 
Uh, no, I, I think there are things. And, 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 you know, March Madness, you can watch as a scout now, which is always kind of fun. You know, there, there'll be some of the guys, you know, like last year, you couldn't watch Jalen Green. And there, there are a couple interesting Ignite players, but, you know, the top of the draft, they're going to be playing. You get to watch that. But no, I think there are things. I think you want to get a better idea. Is Kevin Porter Jr. the future point guard? Uh, the the progress he has made when healthy and playing, because he, he missed quite a few games with the upper respiratory infection. He missed the last couple. He played through a few when he couldn't breathe. So the progress he was making, was it real? Will it continue? Is he the point guard of a great backcourt? I don't know that you find that definitively in the last 24 games, but you get a better idea. Jalen Green is figuring it out, you know, and people don't want to give that to him. And they've sort of moved on after, basically after the January shooting slump that, okay, we're we're excited about Mobley. We're excited about Scotty Barnes. Now Cade Cunningham's really coming on. We're moving on to somebody else. Well, that's understandable. The Rockets are last place in the Western Conference, but this guy's getting there. I mean, it's happening. Uh, he, he, he's he got some real quality to him. Uh, and he cares a lot. You know, people acted from his Instagram post or his missed dunks. Uh, he just doesn't care. He's just, No, he cares a lot. Uh, he wants, he not only wants to be great, he's not just waiting for it to happen. Uh, he wants that. So I think you want to see, okay, if, if what was fraudulent, the shooting slump or the something of a shooting surge, uh, which one is real and where will it go from here? Uh, I think those are probably the two dominant things. Can the Rockets have a good defense as Christian Wood is their center? He has some defensive qualities. He's not a bad switching guy. He's pretty good at that. But as your last line of defense or matching up with guys who've got 50 pounds on them, that has not gone well. How will that go? What, what, where does he fit in their future? You know, Eric Gordon is, well, he's 33. He doesn't fit very well in their future. Christian Wood could. Does he? I, I think you get a better idea in those last 24 games. I think those are the things that jump out the most. Maybe more K.J. Martin defensively. Can he continue to make strides? I think with him and Jay Sean Tate, it's more offseason. Can they become reliable three-point shooters, which the Rockets absolutely need from them? Jay Sean is so good in so many ways. Uh, it's just the more you appreciate basketball, I, the the Coaches love him to death for a reason, not just Rockets coaches. People around the league love that guy. But he's a 6'4 power forward. The the Rockets need him to be able to knock down threes. That's something that maybe comes in the offseason rather than these last 24 games. Um, But those are some of the things. And then Josh Christopher, you know, uh, he's not a point guard, uh, but you do need him to be sort of more of a combo and he, he shot better than they expected, but sort of slacked off lately as a shooter. I think you want to see more in the last 24 games from him. And then on top of that, it's going to be hard to keep Dennis Schroeder. Uh, I don't know that they will or be able to. How does he fit and how does he help others be whatever they can be? 
you know, this this notion that he conflicts with developing Jalen Green or Josh Christopher. And I think that's the opposite. I think he can help them develop, not just as his influence. And he talked about that. And he talked about how he learned it from Chris Paul in the year they were at Oklahoma City together. But as a point guard, playing with a point guard, does he help them develop? I think that's another thing to watch in these last 24 games. Very good. Jonathan, always great to catch up with you. Should do this again in a few months. <laughs> it was that bad you could beg off for a few months. Huh? Well, I mean, that's just, that's just the limited opportunities I get. Daniel's a regular, you know. I, I'm not going to Wally Pip Danielle here anytime soon. Well, yeah. Well, you were there before her, so I think she's Wally Pipped you. But, uh, hey, Wally never got back in the lineup, so. Very true. So, yeah, well, thank you for stepping in. I'm looking forward to seeing what she, she's got coming. Um, but it's always a pleasure. And you know what? For a last place team, they do give us stuff to talk about. You know, it's never Maybe dull. Kevin Wall will come to a game one day. How's his ramping up going? How's his, you know, I only threw that in because it's a podcast rule that his name be mentioned once a week at least. So, uh, and you know what? All right, I'll go there one brief moment as we are signing off. Uh, since I, I sort of ended talking about Schroeder, that that is something John Wall could have brought. He, he is a good influence of a guy and he cares about young players and helping them. Uh, he just wasn't willing to have a diminished role and the Rockets were okay with that. You know, it's not just on him. It's also on them that they didn't for it. They said, okay, you know, fine. But the idea of who's playing, why isn't John Wall? Well, John Wall didn't want this and this guy does. So a, a quick little addendum to our conversation, but I enjoyed it as always, Greg. Thank you for stepping in. Thanks to everybody, as always, for listening. We'll be back again next Tuesday as Danielle Lerner makes her triumphant return. Until then, I'm Jonathan Fagan for Greg Rajan. Thanks again for being with us on the Texas Sports Nation podcast.